This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Dr. Jody Paluski, author of Mommy Brain, back to the show. Dr. Jody has a PhD in neuroscience from the University of British Columbia. For over 15 years, she has been engaged in clinical research and publications surrounding the maternal brain. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, Scientific American, CNN, the Boston Globe, and more. I value Dr. Jody's work so much. I can remember all too clearly feeling like my brain had changed when I became a mom. I felt foggy, forgetful, and overall just exhausted. And as someone who had always appreciated learning and being challenged and stimulated intellectually, I felt so frustrated when I found myself feeling less sharp than normal. What I didn't know then was that I was struggling with postpartum depression on top of undiagnosed ADHD. But I have heard from so many mom clients this frustration and self-criticism over forgetting things or struggling to keep it all together. Dr. Jody previously appeared on the podcast in episode 72 to unpack what mom brain is. This week, she joins us again to dive deeper, breaking down the factors at play behind maternal brain fog the connection to mental health, and the role of the invisible load. In this episode, Dr. Jody and I discuss the negative stereotype of mommy brain and how this concept is steeped in gender norms and unreasonable expectations placed on mothers. We talk about the role that the invisible load and intensive mothering ideology play in mom brain, as well as the science behind brain function changes both in birthing and non-birthing parents. But before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from E.C. Wills, and it's titled, Right Place, Right Time. Cannot recommend this podcast enough. The loneliness of motherhood is the most striking part of it for me. It's been crippling. As a postpartum depression survivor, I can say this podcast has saved me time and time again when no one else around me seemed to get me. Thank you, Erica. Lots of love. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave this kind and vulnerable review. The loneliness of motherhood is one of the strangest experiences. You're often never truly alone with a baby being all over you or kids hanging off of you feeling touched out and overstimulated, and yet you truly feel more alone in many ways than you ever have before. I'm so glad that the podcast helps. It was started from a mission to support moms and to make sure that you all know that you are not alone on this journey. If you're out there listening and this podcast has helped you in some way, I would love to hear about it. Please take a minute to leave a review and let me know what you appreciate the most about the show. Now let's hear my conversation with neuroscientist Dr. Jody Paluski. The postpartum period is a major transition in your life. Overnight, you went from being able to care for yourself to having a little baby rely on you for every need. Sleep deprivation, crying, uncertainty in your parenting choices, these can all take a toll on your mental health. While baby blues are normal and will resolve on their own in a few weeks, many moms suffer from more. If you find yourself irritable, depressed, anxious, experiencing loss of interest in the things you used to enjoy, or simply feeling unlike yourself, you could be experiencing postpartum depression or anxiety. It might be time to seek help. Our qualified maternal mental health specialists are here to support moms across Canada and the United States. You shouldn't have to cope alone. Our mom counselors and postpartum therapists are ready to support you. 
Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com slash booking. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Jody, thank you so much for returning and being with us today. When I saw that your book, Mommy Brain, was coming out, I had to take the opportunity to have you back, mostly just as an excuse for us to hang out, if I'm honest. I haven't <laughs> seen you in a little while. So thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I remember we had such a great conversation now a few years ago. That was really fun. Can you imagine? Yeah, I know. Time's flown by. I know. So it's nice to be back here and yeah, to chat some more about what's been going on with me and catch up. Yeah, what's been going on with you? It's been a couple of years. You've birthed a whole book baby since then. Yeah. How how did the book evolve? How have things oh been going on your side? It's a good birth, literally my third child. Oh, it's a labor of love. That's for sure. Yeah, it was actually. So, I mean, how did it come about? You know, I'm a scientist, I'm a neuroscientist. And so to write a book for the general public was not on my list of to-dos just because I'm a science <laughs> writer, right? Totally different style and approach to writing. Totally different. Totally different audience as well. Yeah. 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 But I had been talking a bit more in the general public about the maternal brain and mummy brain. And then I actually was approached by someone here in France who asked if I would write a book for the general public. And I was like, no, that's not Mm. what I do. And then she's like, come on, let's just make an outline. And of course, I think the topic is super important, right? At the time, I was like, of course, someone needs to do this. And I'm happy to talk about stuff. But I don't think I have the capacity to do what you want. But anyway, long story short, I was like, let's put an outline together and see what happens. And we got a book deal. And she also was super great because I ended up writing with someone. So I, in fact, had someone there who was a ghostwriter. She wasn't a ghostwriter for me. She ended up being more of a translator. But it was nice to have someone who could read my text and be like, this is great. This is like, we need to add something. So there was kind of nice feedback. And it came out in French, actually, I didn't write it in French, I wrote in English. And then I published it in English a year later. So it came out in 2022 in French. Okay, interesting. It was a fun experience, though, because I went into it writing more like I was writing to my sister, let's say, or something, Mm -hmm. or a good friend. And so that helped me frame how I wanted to share things. But of course, you know, I'm a scientist, so I have citations in there and refer to studies and things like this. But Mm -hmm. it was a fun process once I got over my initial fear of doing it and actually jumped in. And uh, yeah, and I did it. Yeah. 
I'm so glad that you did. I think one of the reasons why my content side of the platform exists is because research is so valuable and it informs our policy and our standards of care and our screening processes and like all of the things, right? It's so often based around evidence-based research, but it often doesn't get translated and put into an accessible way that moms can take and digest or it might take a long time for that to like trickle its way down through various forms of media and whatnot. So to have the researcher then take their own research or, or research that they've been immersed in in the field for so long and be able to translate that in a way that is approachable is so valuable because like you're truly, truly an expert in the field. Like when we talk about expertise in an area, as far as licensed professionals, we talk about the researchers who are like literally conducting research in the field. Like that's as far as expertise can go in our minds as licensed professionals, right? And so I find research incredibly valuable. I find the translation of research to mothers in ways that they can approach even like that much more magical that it's approachable for them to be able to receive and apply to themselves. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is so important, but I think I was apprehensive because of my science writing background. Yeah. But my desire to share the knowledge was so great. I'm like, I'm going to try my best and see how this goes. And fortunately I had of course, feedback. And I think I'm happy with the results and how it turned out and the voice that it has and how I could approach it because I am actually first generation PhD in my family. So I do have to talk about what I do with people who aren't scientists. Yeah. But I think it's really important also to be able to provide the science. But one of the reasons, you know, I I refer to papers so you can actually go in the book. And if you want to go to the study or the review, scientific review that I talk about, then you can actually go there because I think there's real value in having access to the scientific data Mm -hmm. uh, just as a reference. Because we do see a kind of a range of science communication out there, especially in the mom sphere I see on social media. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I like to see that it will have a reference to the scientific study if it's going to be talking mm-hmm. about research. And I think that's really important to keep in mind, mm-hmm. just so that you can then go if you have further questions to the data that people have actually collected. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that being said, key concepts and sharing key concepts is really important with the general public. So I like Mm -hmm. seeing more and more of that. And I like sharing the research that I do and my colleagues do in this area of Mm -hmm. how the brain changes with motherhood, Yeah, which I think, yeah, is so valuable and important. So since you last joined us, I feel like I have a new interesting hot take on mummy brain. I don't know. I feel like I've evolved a little bit in my perspective, perhaps, on just my take on the language used or the norms and the expectations, because I don't know that I've ever heard of a daddy brain. I don't know that I've ever heard of a daddy brain used in a negative connotation towards, you know, a male partner in any way. So in prepping for this interview and and in reading your book, And in recently doing an interview about perfectionism and it being very gendered, I'm kind of been reflecting on some of these 
things in motherhood and just as women that get thrown around that when we reverse to like our partners or other gendered, you know, people in our lives that we we see and engage with don't apply. And I'm just like, huh, isn't that isn't that something? Isn't there? Isn't that? That's an interesting, hmm, hmm. you know? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe we can like unpack mummy brain because from how it's talked about or like the stereotype when we say mummy brain that I think a lot of people go to is like forgetful and dropping all the balls and kind of scattered and frenzied and maybe not incapable, but somewhat like Uh, less sharp and able to keep up with things that they could do before. These are the stereotypes that come to my mind when I hear mommy brain. Mm -hmm. How about with your community and with those you speak with? Yeah, I think this is a general theme, right? That when we become mothers, our brains kind of get mushy. I mean, there's Mm. this perhaps one of my, well, let's say favorite kind of memes is that I traded my neurons in for children. And it's Mm. a mom saying this. And this is, in fact, not true. I mean, Mm -hmm. I actually did research on neuron production in maternal brains for my PhD work, showing that yes, there's a decrease in the number of new neurons that might be produced. But indeed, it's actually associated with beneficial behavioral outcomes and better memory. In fact, Granted, this is in animal models. I study, I use rats. We use them often ethically, of mm. course, to look at the brain. But the point is, is these ideas aren't necessarily based in science, but I think there's something to it, of course. So, you know, one thing that I've talked a lot about is how to think more positively about our brains when we become mothers, because the brain does amazing things when you become a mother mm-hmm. and a parent in general, but it allows you to keep a human alive, right? And we know mm. that a non-birthing parent's brain also changes. And this is really as a function of experience with the child. But that being said, there's this whole you know, idea of brains going to mush, not being able to function. Oh, it's mommy brain that many women struggle with. Now, the scientific evidence, so if you bring a mom into the lab and give her paper and pencil tests, generally the research is showing that she does really good on memory tests. And so there's been kind of this general theme that there's maybe a slight decrement in the ability to remember things in the short term, like perhaps where you parked your car, so working memory, and perhaps a slight decrease in the ability to find words Mm. so or related to verbal memory during pregnancy or the early postpartum period so that kind of is coming out in the scientific literature which also i will add is minuscule compared Mm. to what it should Mm be but this shouldn't actually interfere with daily functioning what's really interesting is i was part of a study we did in 2010 where we had the pregnant women do some lab tests pregnant and non-pregnant in their doing paper pencil tests in the lab. And then they had to do something from home. And in fact, when they were tested, had to do this kind of test at home, that's where we saw the memory differences. And it was, Hmm. in fact, the pregnant participants failed to do this test or this task they were supposed to do more times than the non-pregnant participants. So for me, and as I've thought about this more and more over the past year or two, I'm like, there's something to this. If a majority of women talk about their memory not working properly, 
And we're seeing, although only one study, but in their home environment, there seems to be something going on, but not in the lab. Then there's something about this home environment. And I'm thinking more and more about the mental load, essentially, that is actually affecting the brain function. But rest assured, if you probably have the environment to facilitate your brain functioning, so you're actually in a quiet environment, if you have to concentrate or what have you, and you know probably that your kids are being taken care of, right, and you Mm -hmm. don't have that worry, then your brain, I'm guessing, is going to function just fine. But it's really multifaceted. Yeah, it's fascinating because I feel like, I don't know, I interpreted this conversation maybe so differently than earlier on when we spoke. And maybe I was in it and in a different place, or maybe I've just got such a different maybe feminist lens at this point that I've been in advocacy and gender equality work now a little bit longer. But as we started to go through it and I'm going through the book and I'm like, this sounds like this is like a a mental invisible load issue. And then you would go there and I'm like, thank you, you went there, you know? And and I'd be like, oh, this might be a sleep deprivation issue. And then you would go there. I'm like, okay, thank you. Because while we may struggle to, I don't know, I might be forgetful or I might have some mood disruptions postpartum where we do know we're at risk for certain things that come up postpartum, pregnancy postpartum. It is because of the various risk factors or variables that are going on often, like sleep deprivation, we know, and this impacts on our mood, or because of, like, I think about the mental load that comes online and the various, the sheer volume of tasks and tabs that all of a sudden I had to hold in my brain that I was not responsible for before. And so is it that my memory isn't performing as it should? Or is it that I am now responsible for such a volume of items that I feel like I'm dropping the ball? Like, do you know? Yes. Because then I had three children in the span of three and a half years. So times those tasks and those considerations and those preferences and those feeding schedules and those items and those school forms and those daycare interactions and all of those things by three And the amount of sheer invisible correspondence and tasks and things to monitor and anticipate and keep open in your brain was like every bit of RAM and mental capacity space was accounted for. And it wasn't for lack of my brain working. It was the sheer load that was expected of my brain. And how this becomes a mummy brain issue is that's not expected of partners. Yeah. And so there's this like gendered context here, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. I 100% agree. I think there is this context, right, where the institution of motherhood looks a certain way. So when you become mm-hmm. a mother, you have to do these things or you're supposed to. Whereas it's not the same for dads, right? So they don't have those expectations. They don't have the to do so much. Maybe it doesn't cross their mind, but they don't have the pressure. Like when you're a dad, you're supposed to be this and that, and it's supposed to be so fulfilling. So Mm -hmm. I think there's this coming into it with these kind of differences. And that really puts a lot of pressure on moms and pressure Mm -hmm. on their brains, right? So, you know, you can only do so much. Your brain can only function well with a certain amount of, you know, pressure, let's say, or things to do. Mm, This is regardless mm. of whether or not you're a parent. Right. But what strikes me with your story is think of all the things you actually did do 
with three kids in three and a half years, right? Mm-hmm. Plus you kept them alive, mm-hmm. right? So I think we often forget that sometimes, and we actually have this idea a little bit in the scientific literature is that perhaps there's a bit also of a trade-off. So, you know, when you have too many things going on, your brain is going to choose probably what's most important Mm. and it's going to focus on that. So when it comes to caregiving, and I'm guessing we would see this in any parent, whether or not you give birth, but you're probably going to go to your kids' needs and some basic functioning needs or the most pressing ones, depending on what's most demanding. And then other things and other brain functions might be left you know, not working as well or left on the side or things might be forgotten, right? So because your brain Mm -hmm. is going to have to shift if there's too many to do's and too many things causing it not to function as well as it can or should, I Mm -hmm. guess. I think we put too much pressure on what we need to do. And that's a big part of perhaps mommy brain, if we talk about it in the sense we talk about it. Granted, I would love it to be rebranded. And we think of you know, our brains is something doing amazing when we become parents. Mm -hmm. But I think we have a ways to go because we don't value caregiving either, right? Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. This is something interesting I'd like for us to lean into a little bit too, because on one hand, we're saying 
our brain goes to much sort of this stereotype. But then on the other hand, intensive mothering tells us, and we pride ourselves in that we are the best biological caregiver for our child. Like we are best biologically suited and best biologically wired. So my brain goes to mush, but also don't come for me because this is my kid. Like don't come for my position kind of, you know. But you had said something interesting off the top of our chat where non-birthing parents have these neural networks come online as well. Can we talk about that? Like what happens in the parental brain when they like transition into parenthood? Yeah, I, I'm going to backtrack and also say that biologically, I don't know if moms are wired to be the best, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So especially I'll just backtrack in this regard and how I look at pregnancy and the brain preparations is, of course, you know, we see during pregnancy, the brain changes quite a bit more in a pregnant person than it would change in a non-pregnant person, right? Mm-hmm. But the idea behind this is that there's a lot of hormones and brain changes, and these things are all happening in anticipation for the arrival of the baby in order to rapidly learn how to care for baby. Mm-hmm. Essentially, this mm-hmm. is the idea, because if you invest your whole biology into producing offspring or a child, you know, you're going to want to make sure that babies survive. So I think biologically, we're kind of driven to care for our child if we're birthing mom pretty rapidly and probably can pick up on some things pretty quickly mm-hmm. if we have interaction with the child. Not everyone, of course, it takes time and parenting does take time and it's constant learning. Mm-hmm. But that being said, you know, pregnancy, we like to think of prepares you perhaps for the postpartum rapid learning, mm-hmm. prepares your brain to rapidly learn. But what's really interesting is in non-birthing parents, even across pregnancy, we see some brain changes, not to the same degree, Mm -hmm. but in the postpartum for both birthing and non-birthing parents, in fact, you need to interact with your baby for this parental brain network to come online and to function, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this is something that's really important because often we're like, oh, but she's the mom or she knows best and what have you. I think she probably in those cases knows best because she's been with the child more than the other parent. Exactly. So there's research, although limited, showing that if a dad is the primary caregiver, he also shows some similar brain changes to a mom in brain areas that are important for the parental brain circuitry. So I Mm -hmm. think this is really a function of experience. Mm -hmm. And this is really, really important because our brains, they can change when we're adults, right? And so you have to, when you parent, it's a constant interaction with that child that helps you form your parental brain. There's no switch that turns on when you've birthed the child and then you know what you're doing. I think we think that. I think that we think that there's going to be this maternal instinct that kicks in because it's the narrative, right? Like, like we yeah, think that that's going to be the case with feeding with all these things. And that's what feeds this narrative that we are best biologically suited to be caregivers. And that's what feeds this kind of like PR machine of motherhood and us being these caregivers. And I was saying that like facetiously as like, this is a myth of intensive mothering, right? Like that mothers are meant to be these primary caregivers and that we're best biologically suited. I see what you're saying about the changes in the brain. I see this a lot with clients. And I think that this is where some of the really intensive or intrusive thoughts and postpartum anxiety, our brains can mess with us a lot in these early postpartum times when our brains can almost 
turn it up into overdrive a little bit too much into survival mode. Like it kind of goes into overdrive a little bit. And I can see some of these things at play where we're just almost so keenly focused on survival that it goes into overdrive almost. Yeah. So I see distinctly that like drive kick in 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 the form of some of these instinctual kind of intrusive thoughts and things and then kind of start to taper out a bit. But the actual, like you said, the learned role of parenting and caregiving, the experiential knowledge, learning of each other as people and preferences and what you like and what you don't like and what soothes and what doesn't soothe and all of these things are learned and experienced with one another and are not just innately something we instinctually know how to do as mothers. I will think, I think I'll say with an asterisk that we might be better at because we've been expected to nurture and soothe and things throughout our life. So we might be better at this. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I agree. Cause sometimes I think you see from early on girls are raised a certain way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then this is where, you know, that is going to shape the caregiving skills, you know, as a parent, for sure. Yeah, in parent, yeah. It makes sense. It's experience, right? right? So if you've had experience earlier and you've been doing more babysitting, let's say this is com- more common for girls and boys to be babysitters or what have you, perhaps in the postpartum when you have your own kids, you're going to be, you know, you know how to change the diaper more efficiently or what have you, right? So there's those kind of skills you've already built up. But that's part of how we gender stereotype and how we, from really from an early age, girls do this, boys do that. Oh my gosh, sorry. It's it's making me chuckle because I'm having this like flashback of having this stinking doll that I used to feed food to. And it would like eat the food and like poop in the diaper. (laughs) And like you would give it water and I would like change the diapers. I was like nine years old and I would like be changing diapers on this doll. And it's just like so silly to reflect on now and all the power to you if your girls have dolls, like dolls are fun. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. And if my boys wanted dolls, I would also get them dolls. Like it's not, dolls are still a toy and they're, they're fine, but it just makes me chuckle because like how many caregiving things had I done even just through play growing up, you know, and how much practice had I had even in that way versus what might be expected of my partner, let's say. And yeah. it's just silly to reflect on it. You you have to laugh so you don't rage, Jody. Yeah, <laughs> no. And laugh. I think this is the thing is I also, yeah, I mean, you can go back. So I'm thinking I had My Little Ponies. My brother had Lego. But some of these toys were also not geared. They're very much geared to one sex or gender, right? Yeah. So this, you know, there wasn't Lego that it was just all yellow. I remember he had a Ford or something. Anyway, you know, so yeah, now we see a lot more opportunity for kids to actually play with a lot of different types of toys and more gender neutral. Yeah. And I, hopefully that will make a difference as well. But yeah, there is this kind of, you know, some females are raised to be mothers. Let's face it. Right. That is how they're raised. And that's what's really important. And definitely being a mother is really important, but that doesn't mean you have to be the sole and only parent, right? And that you know best, or you have to be the one that knows best. Right. Because I think that this is where lots of struggles come. It's like, but what I thought I would, you know, I knew what was going on, or it would just work or just feel natural. And, you know, parenting is 
learning. It's a lot of mistakes because that's how you learn Mm -hmm. and it's constant change. I mean, those are some of my thoughts around it based on my experience, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think that it is both maybe like a hard truth to accept because sometimes we've built our identity so much around being in that role. Like if we've really bought into intensive mothering and this being our identity, right? Like it's hard to accept that others can also have this place while also empowering and freeing to know that, hey, my partner can also step in and start to really learn and bolster their own role so I don't have to carry all of this alone. Because the fact that we're holding on to this belief that we have to be the soul, like we are the soul or best at this, is what keeps us drowning in Mm. the care, you know? Because if I'm the best to soothe, if I'm the best to feed in Nightwake, if I'm the best to pick up when hurt at school, if I'm the best to do this, the best to do that, if given you know, my partner go or I go and we're both available, I'm going to go every single time because I'm best suited to go and I'm going to burn myself into the ground going every single time. And so it is both a hard thing to accept, to share in this, but also empowering both to our partner to like bring them fully in and also for us to like breathe and buy ourselves space in a different role, in a different part of our identity, like just outside of that load and carrying all of that. Yeah, 100%, right? But it's easier said than done too. Yeah, There's other things as you're talking about this that come into play because not only are these roles there, a mom should be or is this and a dad is that. Mm. Also, you know, often men are making more money than women. Right. And so there's those factors. Well, he's working. So of course, this is my job now, or I'm only working part time or, you know, like, so there's these other factors that start to come into play, I think that make it really sometimes challenging to take a step back besides this intensive mothering ideology. But there's other parts where there's a lot of guilt around Mm -hmm. if you do take a step back for yourself as a mother. Yeah. But that being said, you know, Kids are meant to have a number of different interactions with adults. Mm -hmm. You know, traditionally, there were a number of different adults around that they interacted with. It wasn't just a one-man show, Mm -hmm. a one-mom show, right? And I think we've really moved to this kind of nuclear family perspective, which isn't healthy for anyone in the long run. Mm -hmm. And definitely when you look at the rates of mental illness in mothers, I mean, it's quite shocking. Mm -hmm. And so then I think, well, why? Right. I mean, there's many different reasons, but, you know, mental illness for me is an illness that starts with brain function, not working out as it should. Right. That's how I think about it. Mm -hmm. Of course, it has to do with the interplay with society genetics, all different factors, but are we overloading our brains and not giving it sufficient time to recuperate and re-energize and be able to function Mm -hmm. again in a healthy way, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think of it, you know, perinatal mental illness like this, your brain is telling you, you need something Mm -hmm. when you're feeling low, when you're feeling anxious, it's not getting what it needs to actually function in a healthy way. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. 
But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed, but the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherine Areem's psyched mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage code rage 20. And one last point to this, and I think that we can move on is when our partners aren't accessible, I think that we also, well, available and affordable childcare is like asterisks here because real struggles, real, real struggles there. But also in like the state of motherhood survey through motherly, we're seeing a lot of people moving towards like leaving the workforce and staying at home because of a lack of accessible and affordable childcare and a need for flexibility. But there's also this woven intensive mothering piece where also like there's a guilt about sending our children to the care of others and allowing others to quote unquote, raise our children. And when we should be with them and have our time with them. And so there is also this idea that like, it's bad to send our kids to care providers sometimes. Yeah. I hear this with my community where there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of guilt. It comes up in polls. It comes up in DMs. And I will just say, as somebody whose children have been to care providers, oh my gosh, they've become like attachment figures in their life who they adore and they've had such wonderful experiences and they've got teachers and they're in public schools and like 
they've nothing but benefited from having these other positive attachment figures in their lives. Additional positive attachment figures are always positive things, right? Like, I don't know. And it doesn't take away from our role with them. Yeah. And I also think, like, where did this intensive mothering idea come from? Because I don't think it's biological. I mean, if you look at traditional human communities, like I said, it wasn't just one mom and her children Mm -hmm. doing things. It was literally a community. So somehow society, perhaps in the last 50 years, I'm guessing, has somehow changed this. And I'm not sure why, because it you know, where did this idea come from? This is for some other expert, Yeah, but it doesn't make sense to me, right? It just doesn't make sense because you want your child to learn from others. But of course, I'm not saying put your child in daycare at three months or whenever you want. Do what works for you. I was also one who was quite apprehensive about having my kid, my kids actually go to childcare. It was hard for me. They were home quite a bit until they're probably two and a half and three. I live in France. So childcare starts for free and is really subsidized early, but like from three months on. And then at three years, kids are supposed to go to preschool mm-hmm. and that's free, which is also mm-hmm. a benefit. Although it will add, that doesn't mean the mental load on mothers is actually not talked about here. It's very much talked about because even with childcare options, there's still issues, of course. You're still coordinating all the... Yeah, I yeah. think that, I don't know. I mean, the intensive mothering theme that we've seen more, it's it's a challenge, right? I think moms, of course, are amazing and important for their kids. Of course, of course, of course. But it doesn't mean you have to be there 24-7 for them. Mm -hmm. But then you have to find a balance of what works for you as well. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I'm reading Minna Dubin's Mom Rage right now, and she talks about the motherhood PR machine. And I've never thought about that concept before. But like, who's the PR rep here? Like, who's the one that's just keeping this image of motherhood up out here, this intensive mothering image, because man alive. I think there's also many different factors that play into this idea of intensive mothering, right? Mm. Like there's some historical, there's some political, I'm guessing there's some religious, Mm -hmm. there's, you know, there's a lot of different kind of players that have probably supported or resulted or contributed to this idea, yeah. you know, as with the institution of motherhood or what we perceive a good mother to be, right? Mm -hmm. For me, I think, you know, being a mother and being a parent can be many different things. It's very diverse, the role that you can have. We just don't accept the diversity Mm -hmm. in motherhood. Mm -hmm. This is the problem, I think, and the challenge. We don't see motherhood as being a range of different healthy ways of interacting with your child. Yeah. You know, we see it as it has to be this way Mm -hmm. and it doesn't Mm -hmm. actually, and it can be healthy in many, many different forms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about our mommy brain and I'm thinking about reframing this. Well, one, I pause and think about what I talk about my partner's brain like this or would I like I don't know I think there's just like a real pause like am I expecting something of myself and my brain that I wouldn't expect of my partner right now like I think we just need to check ourselves for a minute and just see like am I being unreasonably hard on myself or critical because I don't think that that's even fair of ourselves to speak to ourselves that way it's awfully harsh and 
when we are met with unreasonable expectations and pressure that nobody values and everybody around us is drowning in, but nobody is talking about. So we feel like we're the only one drowning in it. So we think it's us. So we think it must be our mummy brain. And then we become critical on ourselves, right? Like, I think that that is like a cycle that we need to check and be like, wait a minute, this isn't a me issue. Like, this is beyond me, right? Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, Mm -hmm. yeah. This is not a me issue. It's a society issue. Mm -hmm. It's what's happened. I don't have the support to do that, what I'm supposed to be doing. That's the issue. You know, when I think about sometimes mommy brain and our experiences of it, so this forgetfulness and feeling foggy and what have you, For me, I'd like us to think about this as, you know, our brain's telling us it needs something. Mm -hmm. So it needs more support. It needs someone to take part of the load, right? And it needs some space to actually function. But it's not a dysfunction of a person. It's a result of what's going on around us and what society expects of a mother, Mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think that when we can pause and see that we are not like full odd and we can value ourselves in the work that we do and pause to acknowledge our needs and value our needs, then we can tend to ourselves in that way. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. And for bringing this work out into the world with us and for having the courage to do it because I know that it takes courage. Where can people find your book, Mummy Brain? Where can they find it? You can find it. It's uh, published by Demeter Press in the English version, but you can find it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well online mostly it's in an ebook format as well as as paperback and then the french version is you can also find that on amazon and other french publishing houses like fanac and cultura and it's published by loros it's out as well so and we'll link all of that in the show notes as well and you've got a podcast and you're on so where can they find you and learn more from you yeah, so you can find me at my website. It's jodypaluski.com. So we put those yeah. in the notes as well. I also have a podcast, Mommy Brain Revisited, where I talk to other neuroscientists about their research. So you'll hear straight from the researchers about what they're doing with regards to their research on the parental brain, motherhood, fatherhood. We talk about research in different animals sometimes, as well as humans. And it's been lots of fun to have a platform where I can share my friends and colleagues research with the general public. And I think it's a great way for anyone interested in the parental brain to really hear how it is affected or how the brain is affected in parenthood from the researchers who do the research. Mm -hmm. So that's Mommy Brain Revisited. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll link all of that in the notes and thank you. Appreciate you being here. Thanks, Erica. I keep thinking about what Dr. Jody shared in terms of research on mommy brain. With those moms doing just fine on the pencil and paper tests in the lab, but struggling when they conducted the same tests in their own homes. It's very enlightening. Something was happening with those moms at home. I picture them sitting there at their kitchen table, a pile of dishes in the sink, a load of laundry that needs to be changed or folded, a box of toys to be reorganized, clutter that just doesn't seem to have a place. Of course they struggle to concentrate, 
Their brains were being pulled in a thousand tiny directions, as so many of ours are. It makes me think about how society has changed so much since the onset of the pandemic. Moms were already carrying the bulk of the invisible load, and then suddenly they were working from home, managing virtual school, and doing it all with less help and family support than ever. It's no surprise that the rates of postpartum depression and anxiety tripled. And I have no doubt that most moms would report their mommy brain symptoms increasing as well. What's apparent after talking with Dr. Jody is that maternal mental health struggles, the invisible load, intensive mothering ideology, and mommy brain aren't individual things that we are navigating as moms. They're all interconnected and interwoven. The unreasonable expectations we are held to from intensive mothering ideology, along with gender norms we carry out without even realizing it, have created a mental load that is so heavy and pervasive that moms are feeling burnt out and overwhelmed in record numbers. And I don't think we can separate mommy brain out from these things. When we carry too much, our brains have to let go of some things. And when we are at capacity, we are not going to be at our sharpest or most attentive. But understanding the way these things play into each other can allow us to give ourselves compassion, understanding, forgiveness, and permission to ask for help. If this episode resonated with you or taught you something, I would love to hear from you. Send me a DM on Instagram or leave a review to let me know what you liked and what you thought. If you're struggling with the weight of the load, with shame or guilt over mommy brain, or with the pressures of intensive mothering and feeling like you have to be and do it all for your children, our mom therapists are here to help. Book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com booking. That's momwell.com booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by author Minna Dubin to discuss mom rage and all the factors that play into the anger that we experience in motherhood. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.